This sermon, Duck or Deliver, was preached by Derek Overstreet on Sunday, December 12th, 2021 at Sovereign Grace Church. And now, right now, we are going to continue our worship by opening God's word as people who say, I've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, Spirit of God, engage me that I might know you more and live for you more. Amen? Amen. This is what we are doing this morning, church, acknowledging the glory of our Lord and Savior with grateful hearts and hearts filled with awe and wonder. So with that, would you stand with me and let's read from the book of Acts, chapter 4, verse 1. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, By what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is no salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Israel, of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all 
in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. When they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Maybe seated. Let's pray. Father, we come to your word. These are your words, for that's what Scripture teaches us. God breathed, written through men, filled with your spirit, and guided along to record exactly what you intended for them to record. And I pray now as we come that you would fill us freshly with your spirit, Fill me freshly with your spirit that I might preach faithfully, passionately, and with clarity. Fill us all with your spirit that we might hear the word of the Lord, that it might take hold in our minds, that it might grip our hearts, and that it might be expressed through our feet in everyday, ordinary life. In Jesus' name, amen. James Guthrie was a 17th century Scottish Puritan preacher. He was also an unrelenting critic of King Charles II during a time when the Presbyterian Church was fighting for its life against the state. As, and, as loved, and as loved by his friends as Mr. Guthrie was, he was equally hated by his enemies, primarily for his deeply held religious principles and zealous protests against the king that ultimately would cost him his life in the year 1661. Now, there's a story about Mr. Guthrie and the end of his life. It, it goes... It goes this way, as Mr. Guthrie stood on trial for his faith, a friend there to no doubt comfort him and support him, a friend perceiving the incoming fury of the king and wanting him to live to fight the good fight of faith for another day, his friend leaned over. And quoting an old Scottish proverb, he said, Duck, duck that the wave may go over you. Will you duck a little just this one time? Mr. Guthrie's response there is no ducking in the kingdom of Christ. 
Shortly thereafter, Mr. Guthrie was hanged for his faith. If there was ever a time to duck in the kingdom of Christ, it was Acts 4. In fact, the events of our text here really mark the beginning of a deadly hostility recorded throughout the book of Acts against the church. And I want to take a moment before we get into uh, the points here, I want to take a moment and bring us into the scene because in the first few verses, Luke works hard to help us understand what this moment for Peter and John must have been like. So let's just take a moment and set the scene, okay? Let's go all the way back to Pentecost. At this point in time, Pentecost was no secret in Jerusalem. Thousands were saved that day. And as a result, we saw a few weeks ago in Acts 2, verses 42 through 47, the church is already making her mark. People held them in awe. They understood something was different about these people as they lived in community, gospel community together. And now, as we saw last week, and we're still, we're still at the temple, we're still where we were two weeks ago when this lame man was healed, now on an ordinary afternoon at the temple, something extraordinary happens. A well-known man, a beggar at the temple door who was 40-something, has been lame from birth. He is miraculously healed in the name of Jesus through Peter. The temple is buzzing at this moment. This man has everybody's attention. As Luke records, he is dancing and leaping and praising God in the temple. And then like a Pentecost, Peter, as we saw last week, he explains this event by connecting it to the gospel. And according to verse 4 of our text this morning, once again, thousands were saved as Peter preached Christ. Now, Peter is still preaching. The sermon is still going on as we get to this part of the text. But this time, unlike Pentecost, instead of people crying out, what must we do to be saved? Luke tells us something very different happened. As Peter preaches, he is abruptly interrupted by a group of powerful and influential men. You'll notice as we read in verses 1 through 2, Luke describes this group made up of local priests and the captain of the temple who was second in command uh, to the high priest. He mentions the Sadducees. These men were wealthy, powerful, religious lawyers, powerful and influential men who Luke says they were angry as well. (laughs) They were greatly annoyed. Not about the miracle, as we'll find out, but the message and the man behind the miracle that Peter is preaching about. Now, in verse 3, Peter and John, they're arrested on the spot. They're arrested And after spending the night in jail, they are brought before what was known as the Sanhedrin Council. It was a group of 71 men. 
71 men, and together they represented the highest authority, the greatest expression of power in uh, the Jewish world. And they had one question on their mind. Look back at your Bibles at verse 5 with me. They, had, they wanted to know one thing from Peter and John. Verse 5. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, that is Peter and John, they inquired. This is no friendly inquiry. Remember in verse one, 2, they are greatly annoyed. This is an angry, hostile inquiry. And here it is. The end of verse 7, by what power or by what name did you do this? Here they stand, surrounded by intellectual giants, religious power brokers, the highest authority, the highest Jewish authority, and their lives are hanging on how they respond. They've already been in jail for preaching. Their lives are hanging on how they respond. As I, as I spent time in this scene this week, I was reminded of the words from the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 2.16 and our very own Scott McLeod this morning in pre-service prayer. Who is sufficient for these things? Who would be sufficient to stand before the Sanhedrin council? Their supreme court. speak boldly. Would Peter and John duck or would they deliver the gospel? That's the question and it's the focus of the rest of our time. And here's why it's relevant. I I don't have to convince you of this because you know it by your own experience. The temptation to duck instead of deliver the gospel is pervasive And it is powerful, isn't it? I can remember sitting at a Starbucks on the east side. It was a very small Starbucks. I sat down. I began to engage a man next to me. And this was a man who was, he was loud and boisterous. Uh, But but I began to talk to him about church and Christianity and the Bible, and I was, I was really excited. I, I think I'm going to get to share the gospel today, and I started talking about Christianity, and this guy went off on me. <laughs> this guy, he went off on me. He went back into the Old Testament and talked about the God of the Old Testament and how many lives were lost because of the actions of the God of the Old Testament. He took me through a walk through history, the Crusades and the Spanish Inquisition and everything else, and he basically laid all the blame and put all the blood of so many human beings at the foot of Christianity. Now, this was a small Starbucks, 
There was like your table and chairs, and then the line to order, we were right there. They, the people were standing. I could smell their cologne and perfume. This guy was loud. I noticed people turning, and I realized this conversation is going to be had between this man and myself, but everybody in this Starbucks is going to be listening in. And I was not up for the task that day. I listened to this guy rant, and I can't remember what I said after that, but I ducked. (laughs) And I went back to my reading and gave up on the guy. And I said, I am not up for this today. Can you relate to that? It's so easy. Different reasons. You know, I just didn't want to get embarrassed publicly. My ego was at stake. I didn't want to get stumped with people listening in. I didn't want people staring at us. It's very real. The angry guy at Starbucks is very real. In that moment, I was tempted to duck, and I did. And so I just want to submit to you right up front everything that this text says over the next few minutes. It's for me first. It's for all of us. But it is for me first, no doubt. Here's what I want you to see. Three things from the text. The first one is this. In this moment, as they stood before these powerful men, Luke, the first thing Luke wants us to know is that these men responded in supernatural power. Notice what verse, notice what verse 8 says. Luke sets the scene for us, and this is the first thing that he says. This is the first thing he wants us to know about what Peter is about to do. He says, then Peter... Tapped into his Old Testament knowledge. No. He says, then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the first thing Luke wants us to know about this duck or deliver moment that Peter finds himself in. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. Everything that you are about to hear Peter say, he did it under a supernatural power. Listen, just think about Peter and John for a moment. These guys were fishermen. They knew boats and nets and fish. They were experts at tying knots and reading tide schedules. They were fishermen. They weren't trained rhetoricians, right? There were no MDivs hanging on their walls back at the fish camp. These guys didn't, they didn't graduate from Toastmasters. They, they were by the world standard. Look at verse 13. What does it say? By the world standard. By this council standard, they were uneducated and very common men. I submit at the risk of offending you, just like you and I. 
to the natural mind. If there was ever a time to duck and live to fight another day, isn't it now? Standing before a powerful council, facing their powerful accusers who have the power to ruin their lives? Peter and John had a choice, duck or deliver the gospel. It's as if in this moment the words of Mr. Guthrie were echoing back into the time. And Peter in his mind says, there's no ducking in the kingdom of Christ. And they chose in that moment to deliver the gospel. And Luke says, filled with the Holy Spirit. Listen, these men, these men had been with Jesus. And just as Jesus has promised them in the Great Commission, I am with you always. I give you all authority. That promise they believed. In fact, Jesus, Jesus was now with them through the Holy Spirit doing exactly what he promised in the beginning of Acts in verse 8, where he said, my Holy Spirit will come upon you. And you will be my witnesses. These men believe that. We need to be careful of how much we read into the text, but with our sanctified imaginations, we, 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 can, probably, we can probably safely assume that, that these disciples clung to promises like that in moments like these. And so can we. We can do it in the middle of a Starbucks because we have the same power that came upon them, upon us. The the, the moment when the grace of the gospel comes to you, the power to share the gospel is upon you. Listen, that doesn't mean we are all empowered to witness in the same way. Certainly some people are gifted more than others. Some people have different opportunities than others, but we have all been given the same Acts 1-8 power to, among other things, witness Jesus Christ to the lost around us. And the power to evangelize doesn't rest with me. It doesn't rest with you. The power to evangelize doesn't come from your abilities or your training or your personality. No doubt God will work through those. If you want to be able to share Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, you should probably be reading your Bible, (laughs) right? If you're not reading your Bible, it will be far more difficult to take people to the Bible to show them Jesus. But ultimately, God works through those things. But the power for evangelism is in the Holy Spirit who fills you, who gives you understanding, who gives you discernment, who gives you clarity of thought in the moment, who gives you the very words 
to speak. Have you ever talked to somebody who shares a story and they're like, I don't know where that came from. I just felt like the Lord gave me those words. Don't just brush over that. The Holy Spirit does that. The Spirit of God dwelling in you from the moment the gospel came to you and you believe. That's what Ephesians 1 teaches us. And this is why this call to evangelism is an every believer ministry. It's not for the outgoing guy in the church. It's not just for the pastors. It's not just for those people who who are networkers and have all the contacts. It's in every member ministry because every believer is empowered to evangelize. And let me encourage you. God is more powerful than your greatest strength. Okay? And that means he can work through your greatest weakness. How? 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 Through prayer. I want to read from our statement of faith. The section is the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. And the subtitle is the filling of the Spirit. If you don't have one of these, our statement of faith, they're free. You can get one in the lobby. I'd encourage you to take it and study it. Listen, what, here's what we believe. When God ascended, he poured out the Holy Spirit on the church, ushering in a greater experience of God's presence and power among his people. The Spirit transforms hearts by the miracle of regeneration and indwells all believers in abundant new covenant measure, Ephesians 1. The Spirit also desires to fill God's people continually with increased power for Christian life and witness. To to be filled with the Spirit is to be more fully under his influence, more aware of his presence, and more effective in his service. And then what comes next here is where we need to apply the command in Ephesians 5.18, be filled with the Spirit. We'll talk about that more next week. But here is the how. All Christians, therefore, must continually seek to be filled with the Spirit. How? By living and praying in such a way that invites the Spirit's work among us, actively longing for God to accomplish his gracious purposes in us and through us. The filling of the Spirit brings to God's people a deeper knowledge of Christ, an increased desire for holiness, a stronger commitment to unity love, and a greater fruitfulness. May we add a greater faithfulness in ministry and a deeper gratitude for our salvation. When was the last time you prayed for a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit to empower you, to empower you for whatever you're about to do, meet with a struggling fellow believer, go to community group and be a part, come on a Sunday morning and not sleep through everything. But give yourself fully in worship. 
When was the last time that you, you prayed for a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit to help you be the husband that the Bible calls you to or the wife that the Lord desires you to or the son or daughter that honors the Lord? When was the last time you prayed, Lord, fill me freshly with your spirit, particularly and especially for sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Peter and John relied on supernatural power to do what they could not do. Second, we see that they responded with a courageous clarity. Look at verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, so Luke has just deflected all glory, (laughs) said to them, here's what he said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, and then listen, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. By him, this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is no salvation in no one else. I love this. Count the no's. And there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There is no ducking here. (laughs) The clarity and the humble confidence in presenting the gospel astounds me. You crucified Jesus. He was crucified. At the heart of the gospel, his crucifixion. And regardless, regardless of what you believe about the resurrection, the Sadducees denied the resurrection. They denied any resurrection. This was going against their doctrine. (laughs) So, so, so for Peter and John to particularly point this out, they're not only being clear what the gospel is, they are being courageous in their clarity. Regardless of what you believe about the resurrection, Jesus is alive because God raised him from the dead himself. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, yeah, that one that you guys proclaim to know and to follow, that one raised Jesus, the one you crucified from the dead. He is alive, by the way. He goes on to tell them that they've rejected Jesus. In spite of your opposition and your rejection of Jesus, he goes on to say, he is the cornerstone. In other words, he's saying, listen, despite your opposition and rejection, God's promises of the Old Testament that you know so well, God's purposes in Christ, they've been established. He is the cornerstone of God's kingdom. And then that last 
line in verse 12. Whether you believe it or not, Jesus, not your rules and your regs, not your personal piety, Jesus and Jesus alone is the only way to God. If I was there, I would be thinking with my head in my hand, oh boy, Peter, 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 here we go. (laughs) We are never going to see our families again. Luke tells us what the powerful leaders are thinking. Did you notice that? Look at verse 13. Wow. These guys are bold. Peter and John were filled with the Spirit, and they were convinced of the gospel truth. They knew Jesus died for sinners Peter knows there is no one like Jesus. He is God incarnate. Peter knows Jesus is alive. He saw him. He touched him. He talked to him. He was encouraged and commissioned by him. Peter knows Jesus is the cornerstone of God's purposes. He is the one that everything in the Old Testament, since Genesis 3.15, the proto-euangelion, was pointing to. And Peter knows that this Jesus is the only way to God, the only way to salvation. And Peter knows that whatever these powerful men think they need most, they need Jesus more. And just like he said to the lame man, silver and gold have I none, but what I have, I give to you. And he gave these powerful, hostile men Jesus. There is no ducking here. Listen, you want to risk I, I wish that we I, we can't. We can't even begin to grasp the moment, the, what, what must have been the look on these men's face. This would be a good movie, wouldn't it? <laughs> By the way, I mean, if we did a movie about Martin Luther, we got to do a movie about Peter and John. This would be a great movie. The, the looks on this council's face when they heard from Peter, Jesus alone saves. 
You want to risk ridicule at the company Christmas party this year? Say Jesus is your only savior. Go ahead, tell somebody that. Make sure they haven't had too much alcohol. You want to experience the cancel culture at school and in your neighborhood? Tell people Jesus alone saves. You want to get an idea of what it's like to be labeled an intolerant, bigoted hater? Tell people in your sphere that they need a savior. There's nothing they can do to save themselves, and Jesus alone can do what they cannot. Listen, we know this. I don't mean to be Captain Obvious, but but it's true, isn't it? We, We live in a society that is increasingly intolerant to the truth that everyone is in need, everyone is a sinner and in need of a Savior, and Jesus alone saves. Great, have your truth if it works for you. No, there is no having your truth here. There is no what's your truth here. This is truth. It's not just true, it is truth. The gospel truth that Jesus alone saves sinners. And I like, I, 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 I don't like, I don't agree with people who are always sounding alarms, but, but listen, we, we can't deny, we we're getting closer and closer in this country to evangelism, particularly if it's to a transgender or if it is spoken to a gay couple who are married. We are getting closer and closer to evangelism being a hate crime in this country. So we need to be clear about what the Bible says a hate crime is and isn't. See, what our world calls a hate crime, God actually calls a blessing. Psalm 67 verse 1 says, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. So that, purpose, your way may be known on earth and your saving power among all nations. You know what the translation in light of Calvary is of Psalm 67, one through two? You and I have been blessed with the gospel. We have been saved by grace through faith so that we can bring the gospel to others who need to be saved from their sin. That's the blessing that we bring into this world. If I, found, if I found a man dehydrating in the hot sun and I offered him water, but he says, well, I don't like water. By the way, you know, that's actually a thing. Did you know that? Have you I've taught, yeah, I don't like water. Anybody here not like water? Yeah, see, we, there you go. So how do you not like water? It's got no taste. You know, it just, I, I don't get it, but... But if a man, if you, if you are dehydrating in the, 
in the sun and I offer you water and you say, I don't like water. And I say, fine, give me my water bottle back. And I walk away to leave you dehydrated in the sun. That's hate. That's the opposite of love. To not give you water is, in essence, to to hate you. But to give you water is to do everything in that moment that I can to love you and bless you. I can't save you, (laughs) but I can give you the water. I I can't make you drink. I can't cause the water to to begin to rehydrate your body, but I can give you water. See, here's the reality that we can't forget. We have a harvest around us, don't we? And you know where it all begins? It begins right here. God is holy And a day of judgment is coming where every human being will give an account for how they lived in light of a holy God, whether or not they acknowledge the existence of that holy God. And you know who won't duck on judgment day with his judgment? God. He will deliver. He will not duck on judgment day. But God that never ducks on judgment day, is also a God who is filled with, who is mercy, who is love and grace. And how do we know that? Because we think he might duck on judgment day? No, because 2,000 years ago, the very thing we are celebrating this month, he sent his son, himself incarnate, God himself, into our world, this fallen world, He entered the flow of humanity, as it says in Philippians 2. He became like us, not grasping equality with God, but submitting to God the Father to the point where he gave up his life. The baby in a manger, as we heard this morning, would grow up to be the Savior on a cross. And then, today still our Savior at the throne of God, interceding for us, sustaining our salvation until he comes back for us. And you know what Jesus did not do at the cross? He did not duck. He did not duck in the garden as he lay with his face in the mud crying out to the Father as the weight of sin began to come upon him and as he began to consider what was about to occur. And he said, as we heard this morning in communion, might this cup pass? His Father's silence screamed, no, it must be done. And Jesus, who could have called down a host, a legion of angels to destroy every soldier. He could have stopped sustaining creation so that the soldiers' muscles wouldn't work and they couldn't swing the hammer. He could have taken himself down off that cross, but he didn't duck. 
And that's why you and I are here with hope. Not just hope for today in this world and the problems that we're experiencing right now, but for a hope of eternity perfected in the presence of Christ as we sang this morning. One day we will be as he is. We will not only be as he is, we will be as he is in his presence. Because Jesus didn't duck. Until that day when we get to be with him, he has put so many people around us, hasn't he? He has filled us with his spirit and he has given us the gospel truth to share day in and day out. Finally, I want you to notice Peter and John responded in the supernatural power of the Spirit. They preached the gospel with courageous clarity and they responded out of a holy obligation. Peter and John were arrested for preaching the gospel. And between their bold preaching in verse 13, the powerful symbol of the gospel in the healed crippled man that they talk about in verses 14 through 16, and the manner in which the gospel was spreading, remember verse four, thousands were saved as Peter stood there and connected the dots between the lame, the healed lame man and the beggar. The opposition, these powerful men, they knew they needed to do something. They knew they needed to put an end to the preaching. Oh, man, Scott, you left her. Sorry, I crushed your, uh, your uh, communion cup. <laughs> Martin Luther would probably panic about right now. <laughs> they knew they needed to do something lest this Jesus movement caught on. And ruined their gig. <laughs> so after conferring privately in verses 15 through 17, they ordered Peter and John, all the believers, to immediately cease from preaching or teaching the gospel. This was a no pre- preaching mandate. We live in the day of mandates. We get it. This was a no preaching mandate with teeth. Look at verse 19. Notice what Peter says. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. The implication of that statement is, and do what you will. You must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. No ducking here. (laughs) Peter and John were commissioned by the highest authority, Jesus himself, to tell everyone about him. The great commission in Matthew 28 and Acts 28, like I said, the promise of power. And when that commission backed by heavenly promises was met with an earthly silence mandate instead of ducking and filled with the Spirit 
and understanding the necessity of the gospel. Jesus alone saves. You need to hear this. And with a gospel obligation, we can do no other. We must speak. They looked the opposition in the eyes and said, judge as you will, but we must obey Jesus. We must tell everyone we have seen and heard regarding Jesus. A joyful and holy obligation. Listen, over the last year and a half, I have had so many conversations about Christ-exalting civil disobedience. Mandates and freedom, church and government, Romans 13 and Caesar. I'm sure you've had them too. And in many of those conversations, whether I agreed or disagreed, I I observed a a resolve and even a sense of obligation of the likes that I have never seen before. People who believe their position was the gospel, though they would never say it that way. I can remember I was with a group of pastors here in town, and we were talking about how, what does it look like in your church? How are, you, how are you leading? How are you shepherding through this? And I remember just saying, guys, I've been in ministry for almost 20 years, and I think I've helped people along the way. Not everybody has listened, but I think the Lord has used me. I have never felt so useless and fruitless as a pastor as I have in talking to people about their views about what is going on. I don't know if I've moved anybody. Even as I open up the word of God, I don't know if I've moved anybody. I have have observed an obligation-like commitment to their opinions. And this week I thought, and yet, regardless of what you think about masks and mandates and vaccinations and all of that, and yet, when it comes to the one activity, we have been commissioned with heavenly authority sharing the gospel with the lost around us. Where is that sense of holy obligation? Where is that resolve of mind and heart? Too often, including myself, we duck. Our resolve and holy obligation to share Christ melts away like a stick of butter on a hot August day in Tucson. We think about losing our careers. Can't share Christ with my coworker, I'll get fired. We're concerned with injuring our reputation. 
with our peers in the world. We don't want to experience rejection or ridicule, especially publicly, like in Starbucks with the angry man. Or we just simply don't want to leave our personal comfort zones. It's just too hard and inconvenient. Which, here comes the hard part, reveals who we are truly consumed with. As we study Acts, we are going to learn many things about the early church, but one thing rises above them all. They were consumed with Christ. Everything about them. He was their all in all. Everything about them flowed from their passion for Jesus, their Savior. Their entire life was a mission. A mission that was because of Jesus and was for Jesus and was on account of Jesus. They believed the promise of supernatural power from the Spirit because Jesus promised it. Not because they'd seen it work before. They believed, they, they, they heard the gospel, they, they believed by grace, and now they lived daily with the joyful weight of a holy obligation to share Jesus with the world around them because Jesus had commanded them to. He had promised them. Jesus was their everything. And Jesus said, now, I'm going to send you my spirit. Go and make disciples. All authority in heaven and earth belongs to me. And I tell you, I will always be with you, low to the end. And along comes the Holy Spirit in Acts 1, Acts 2. Just read the book of Acts. It's all history from there. See, I don't have a bunch of application questions for you. I want you to see one thing in this text, and then I want you to walk out of here and search your heart regarding one area. How? These people filled with the Spirit were willing to risk it all. They knew what mattered and what didn't matter ultimately. Why? They were consumed with Christ. This Christmas, let me ask you, what consumes you?